What's up, everybody? Pete Kennedy here of Subway Sports Talk, Apple Podcast app, Spotify. You know what to do. If you're hearing me say these words right now, you obviously found us. So real quick, we're just going to talk about two things before we get into our post-game thoughts from the Knicks win against the Pacers on Monday night. My guy Alec Argento and I were at the game and en route home on our short back drive to Hoboken from Madison Garden. Literally short. It was 12 minutes. Uh, we discussed our post-game thoughts and some outlook on the Knicks basically to this point and what we saw really at that home win Monday night. But I also have a few more thoughts to get to before we get to the intro music here. And that's going to be about a radio legend, which I'll get to in a moment. And then, of course, we'll do some quick recaps of our picks from Week 10. Another wild week on Thursday night. We should have known after the Dolphins defeated the Ravens uh, with relative ease on primetime Thursday night. We should have known that Week 10's on that same BS that Week 9 was on. Wild finishes, crazy outcomes that were unexpected, and basically another week where we look at these standings, we look at these results, and you put your shoulders up, or your hands up, I should say, and say, what the heck is going on? Who the hell do we trust in this league? I mean, we're talking about the Colts sneaking by the Jaguars or the Jaguars competing now? No. No. The Lions and Steelers get a freaking tie. What? The Bucks lose to the football team? You kidding me? Like, the Cardinals get annihilated with Colt McCoy after just annihilating the Niners, who just beat the Rams. You know, the Cowboys get back on top and dominate. It's just it's just weird. It's another one of those weeks where you just don't know what's going down. I mean, Russell Wilson gets shut out, and now the Chiefs are on top of the AFC West, and they're looking like a real offense again. So It's just crazy. But before we get into some recaps of those picks from Week 10 where we went 2-3, and three, I have to just shed some light on a radio legend who retired this weekend, Steve Summers of WFAN. So if you know, if you've listened to this podcast, you may have heard me mention it in passing before, but I've spent some time working at WFAN. It's been a great experience. I haven't been there much recently, just based off schedules. I actually haven't really worked since COVID. Um, not like a specific reason other than, you know, just whatever. It doesn't really matter. Not the point of the story here. But I worked there for three years now, and I've gotten to know some of those guys. I've worked with Steve a handful of times, and I just want to say a couple things about him because what an incredible career. If you ever really paid attention or if you ever talk to anybody who worked at WFAN, you hear things about Steve, about what he does and how he plans out the show, and you know he has those wonderfully funny, sometimes corny, but corny to the best way possible sound bites and things that Paul Arzuman makes, which are incredible, and just a Steve Summers staple, uh, staple. Those things are all amazing. The monologues, his graciousness to callers, his fun-loving spirit. It's really great to have a guy like that in the industry for so long. So many people can hear that voice for half a second and be like, there's the schmooze. There he is, Steve Summers there. We here, and that whole nine, you know, it's just a great thing, but... I wanted to talk about a story of mine when, you know, I worked with Steve. You know, you hear, hey, you know, Steve will will uh, will like you. You just got to make sure you do a good job. And he he likes to run a tight ship. Like, he likes to have his show the way he likes to have it. And one thing in particular, like I said, if you listen, if you really pay attention to a Steve Summers program, when he goes to commercial break, 
or when he throws to one of those sounds that I'm talking about, one of those sound bites that I'm talking about, right? He likes it to be tight. He wants you to hit the commercial or hit the sound so quick that you're almost, you're basically cutting him off, right? Like you're literally hitting the commercial, one, eight, seven, seven cars, like bam. He's like, and we'll be back after the break. And like before he could even say back to the break, after the break, you got to be hitting that sound, right? So when I heard this and, you know, my leaders at WFAM, Paul, uh, Paul Rosenberg, Pete Hoffman, the guys who kind of showed me the ropes over there, they were they would tell me, like, hey, like hit it soon. If you think you're hitting it quick, you got to hit it quicker. And I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, I'll hit it really quick. And I hit it, and I thought I was quick, and it was it was all right, right? And Steve was like in the break, ah, he doesn't really know who I am yet, right? I'm right now. Hey, come on, you, you got to hit that quicker. I'm like, oh, man, all right. And I hit it a little quicker, and he even says it again, you got to hit it quicker. So then this time, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to hit this thing so early. I'm going to cut him off. Like, I'm going to do it so early that he's not going to know what hit him. And I, I do it. So I hit the commercial break like two seconds before he finishes speaking. And all of a sudden, he finishes. We'll be back after the break. And we go, I hit the button, and it plays the commercial. And I saw this huge grin smile on Steve Summers' face across the glass. And he starts laughing. He starts pointing at me. That's the one. Like, you got it there, man. He was laughing and loving it. And it just goes to show, like, sometimes as a young broadcaster or a young, you know, producer board op in this regard, you see a guy like Steve Summers, it's overwhelming him. He likes to have his show a certain way, and he plans his monologues out, and you don't want to mess up. And I've trust me, I've messed up for Steve, and I messed up for a bunch of people. You know, it happens all the time. But you don't want to mess up for a guy like that because he takes it serious, and that's such a great thing to come across in the industry. So many guys take it serious, of course, but... A guy like him who's taken it that serious for that long, you know, he he could easily have just been mailing it in in the latter part of his career. But no, he watched every game when he was at the fan each night. He paid attention. He prepared. And it was beautiful. And I know when I first started, I used to say, man, he's really planning out this this monologue word for word. He's writing it down. Like, that's every night? Like, what is he? does he need to do that? And then I realized that that was the art in and of itself. It was beautiful. And, and there's been all these stories on air at WFAN and people talk, talking on Twitter about what he does to plan his shows out. And you've seen pictures of his long uh, legal pad of his monologue written up. And at first I was like, man, Steve, you don't got to write that. Come on, you got it in the bag, right? But then you hear what he says to start off a show, to start off an hour of a show. Sometimes it's hour three. And it's perfection. It has some good humor. It has some sports takes. It has those Steve Summers special vernaculars that only he can use and only get away with, like the Metropolitans. It, and it's just one of those things that I think I realized how impressive it was and how much I appreciated it each and every time more that I sat behind the glass for him. And, uh, you know, it's a little sad to say I haven't sat behind the glass since before COVID with Steve and I haven't been in the fan much, but knowing that I had those times with him and messed up on his show and got the look like, come on, you got to be better. But then I got the stamp of approval. Hey, you're comfortable back there and you're, you're getting it done. You're doing a good job. And then he started to trust. Right. And not that he would really even know me that well. Cause I haven't worked with him that, that much, maybe a dozen times, 15 times in my career, but it, it's a special thing to see and, and just wish him the best in uh, his retirement. Hopefully we hear from him here and there. You hear him there. Who knows where he'll be? But I hope he's happy, and I hope he's 
you know, doing everything he wants because he he deserves it. So shout out to Steve Summers, the schmooze. Happy retirement. Great career. Hall of Fame, as many will say. And uh, I heard Kevin Harlan, great radio voice. Obviously, great play-by-play guy for TNT. He was talking about the schmooze on Monday Night Football in Westwood One today. And when I drove, when I was driving home from the Knicks game, I heard him give Steve that shout out, and it just, you know, it inspired me to come on the pod and talk about Steve for a minute because it really is cool to to see somebody that celebrated now retiring and get the send off that he deserves because I I learned a lot watching Steve do what he does. Even if when I was a young cat coming into the business, I think I know this, I think I know that, watching a true pro's pro do it at that level after he's been doing it for so long and care that much is what inspires me and inspires so many other young broadcasters to keep being better and keep holding ourselves to a high standard. So shout out Steve Summers, man. Shout out. All right. Let's talk about one more thing here before we get to the little post-game chat I have with my guy Alec Argento. Uh, literally on the way home from the Knicks game, just left the stadium, high energy, excited with the win. But obviously there are some things that didn't go great for the Knicks, right? So we'll have to discuss some of those. So it's a win, but the offense looked ugly. There's some rotation stuff that's still a little funky. So we'll talk through all that. But first, we got to recap some picks from week 10. So we went two and three, which brings me to now 24, 23, and one. So I'm one game. Well, that doesn't add up. That doesn't. That doesn't make sense. That's not the right number. I am sorry. 25, 24, and 1. I was one game off. I knew that math didn't make sense. 25, 24, and 1. One game above 500. Now three losing weeks in a row, and it's frustrating. It really is tough. Now, the place I'll start, and if you don't know, if this is your first Subway Sports Talk episode, this is where I like to talk about the picks and say if we regret making a pick or not. Because sometimes you make a pick, and you instantly can regret it, and you say, that was not a good choice. That was not a good process. I didn't trust what I was seeing in front of me, what the stats, the numbers, the eye test, whatever it may be. If you didn't trust it, and then you went a certain way, or you followed a trend that you know you felt was fool's gold, you went with it anyway, those are the types of things that you regret, right? And that's when you say, I hate myself. And I have one of those this week. But then there's sometimes where you do trust the process, and you do say, I think I made the right choice there. And something truly unfortunate, out of the ordinary, injury perhaps, comes into play and your whole line can get thrown off. Or it's just one of those games, as we've seen so frequently this year, specifically the past two weeks, where it just doesn't make any damn sense. It doesn't make any damn sense, right? And I talked about a couple of them earlier. Like the Cowboys get absolutely demolished last week by the Denver Broncos, right? They get dismantled. And you say, all right, this is probably a pretty good spot for them to come back and have a strong showing against the Atlanta Falcons. But to win by 40, it's just not something you expect. And then for the Broncos, who just dismantled the Cowboys, like I said, to go play the Eagles in Denver, you expect a high-level performance. They couldn't really move the ball. And the Eagles moved the ball downfield at will against a Denver team that just annihilated the uh, the Cowboys last week. Does that mean that... You know, the Broncos gave it their all against the Cowboys, have no juice left, didn't get ready for the Eagles, thought they would walk right over them. Maybe, we don't know, obviously, the inside out of that, but that's what it looks like, right? We don't know if that's true or not, but that's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. And that's been happening so frequently. So the the picks that I won, for starters, 
I trusted the process with the Patriots. I even said it on the pick on Instagram, Twitter, and all that. I said, last week I liked them, and I put them in this money line parlay, and it bit me in the butt. This week I liked them again, and I'm riding it. So that one worked out. Patriots crushed the Browns. All the takes were pretty sound there. All right. Then you go on to the Packers minus three and a half. I noted how their defense has been playing even better than expected, and that's a big reason. They shut out the, the Seahawks, so I feel pretty good about that. I don't have to say, because obviously I regret nothing, because they won, right? Those are wins. I don't have to say I regret nothing. I obviously regret nothing. And the Packers continue to play well at home against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks as well. Four wins out of that matchup, uh, which is now four and three, all four wins for the Packers in Green Bay. Now, I just mentioned the Broncos, and... I have to say, I hate myself because I've been wrong on the Eagles all year when I'm putting them in my picks and they've been a popular pick amongst the sharp money amongst myself. Not that I'm a sharp money guy, obviously, but they've been a popular pick for people who felt like they had an edge and it seems like they're doing the opposite every single time, right? A couple weeks ago, I took the Eagles Oh, you know, against the Lions. No, not the Lions, because they crushed the Lions. I'm trying to remember now exactly who I took them against. But it's just one of those things where it's like, you bet the Eagles one week, you're like, oh, they looked good last week. I like what they're doing. I think I'm going to trust them now moving forward, and they look terrible, and they fall apart, and you can't trust them at all, right? And then next week, it's like, ah, I'm going to stay away from the Eagles, and they look good. All right, the Eagles aren't going to look good twice in a row. And then they look awesome against the Broncos, and they beat them. So... It's frustrating. They're a frustrating team. Are they getting better truly throughout this season? I don't know. Are they a team I want to trust again moving forward now? I don't know. Jalen Hurts sometimes looks really good. Sometimes he looks like an inaccurate thrower of the football who can't get the job done. But they're running the ball now. The offensive line looks legit. And if the defense can play solid, they're going to be in games. They're going to be in games. And it was the Raiders a couple weeks back in week seven. I picked them plus three and they did not do well, right? So that's one where I definitely regret it. I I hate myself on it because I keep going back to that well, and it's a well that I haven't predicted strongly this entire season, where maybe overarching my ideas about the Eagles are proper, and I'm saying the right things about their overall success or lack thereof. Week to week, I don't have a feel on this team. The only thing I can say is at least I played Jalen Hurts and Devonta Smith in a fantasy matchup together, and they were the two best performers on my team. So at least I'll take that. On to the the teaser of the week. I had the Vikings again, plus nine, which obviously hit. They won by a touchdown against Los Angeles Chargers. But I had the Steelers, and I got them at minus one and a half. And for that reason, I I picked this game before Big Ben was announced to be out. That changed the line by a point and a half, two points in some places. Uh, In real life, I didn't put this bet in until Sunday morning, so I actually got them, surprisingly, at plus .5 and won this bet. But uh, for the case of the podcast, it's a, it's an L. Hey, it's an L. Can I argue, oh, I got them in real life at plus a half and the teaser hit? Sure. But I don't do that because when I get points in my favor or against me, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to count it against myself when I get points that work for me. So, on this flip side here, I'm not going to uh, you know, do the opposite, right? I'm not going to make myself get an extra couple points and make this one a win. It's, a, it's an L because that's what it was when I picked it. So, But I don't regret it. With Big Ben in that game, I think they beat the Lions. It was a shit show. It was rainy. The Lions still suck. 
and they still are winless, unfortunately. I jokingly texted my friend when he said, I think I'm betting the Lions money line today. And I was like, I don't know. I still like the Steelers. He's like, yeah, Mason Rudolph is trash. You can't trust him. I was like, all right, they're probably going to tie. And they ended up freaking tying, man. So I don't know what the hell's going on. But last but not least, Falcons plus eight and a half. I got to say. I partially regret going against the Cowboys because I've been on them so much this year and they've made me a lot of money. But that's part of the reason why, you know, I kind of went against them. Like, you can't win against the spread all year. Vegas is too sharp for that, right? Now, they won by 40. This is one of those games where from the beginning of the second quarter to halftime, it was like a 30-point swing. It doesn't happen every day like that. The Falcons have been playing better, and I feel confident saying that. The Cowboys just came off a bad week. I expected a slightly closer game. Well, a little more than slightly closer, obviously, plus eight and a half. But I expected a competitive-ish matchup, even with the chance for a backdoor cover, which if they go down 14 and then don't score late to make it a backdoor cover, whatever. Would it have been more frustrating? Perhaps, but that's more of what I expected. I don't think it was a bad process. I think it was just a flat-out bad game, so I don't regret that one. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I go back to the Cowboys. Well, certain points in this season, uh, they have a, a tough game or two coming up with some other favorable matchups. We'll see what the, where the money's at, where the spread is at. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's it for pick recaps. And last but not least, I've been talking about this on Twitter, on the podcast. I didn't make it a pick on the podcast, but I was on it Sunday night. Chiefs minus three and a half. I just looked at that AFC West and what's been going on with the Chargers, not trusting them. The Broncos beating bad teams besides the Cowboys, not trusting them. The Raiders, I don't think they're going to be consistent enough on both ends of the football to be the best team in the AFC West, and it leaves this door open for Kansas City to be right back on top. And they have a semi-favorable schedule. They get to play the Raiders again. They get to play the Broncos again. They get to play the Chargers again. So very much is their destiny in their own hands. And if that offense, which was very good for the first five weeks of the season, gets back to even that level and cuts a turnover or two out, we're looking at a 30-point-per-game team again. I know it feels like it was so long ago when they were consistently putting up points like that, but it's not that long ago, right? Like, this league is so strange with the ebbs and the flows, but what happened in Week 5-6 is not non-existent. What happened in Week 1 Week two, you can probably say, hey, they're completely different teams, right? But there's these moments where Patrick Mahomes looked good and the offense was still putting up points. The turnovers killed them. We all kept saying they cut those out, connect a big play here and there, and they're back. And that's what they looked like. I'm not ready to say they're an AFC contender because, let's be honest, there's not really any AFC contenders right now. They all have their flaws. None of them look competent consistently, which is a crazy thing to say, and the NFC is not too far behind at this point in time. But the Chiefs with this open AFC, have nearly as good a chance as anybody. And it feels too easy sometimes to just say, oh, they're going to figure it out and get it right. But because of what's going on around them in the AFC, that makes it more realistic. It's as much a bet on Mahomes, Hill, Kelsey, Andy Reid, and a defense that's starting to look a little bit better as it is on the rest of the AFC looking up and down like a damn roller coaster, one week good, one week trash, top to bottom, right? It's not just one team. It's not just the teams in the AFC West. It's truly the entire AFC. The Bills, yeah, they still seem like one of the better teams in the whole league. However, they're 6-3, and three, and they lost the freaking Jaguars, right? Like the Titans' offense, even though they're 8-2 and, and have won a bunch in a row, 
the offense hasn't been good consistently. It hasn't been able to run the ball successfully hardly with Derrick Henry. I know that sounds crazy, but there's numbers to back that up. He wasn't incredibly efficient, especially early in games. So do you trust the Titans offense that much? No. You're going to say New England is ready to make a big-time leap? No, I think they're a playoff team. But I don't think they're a big-time leap team. Baltimore just got beat up bad by a bad team. That leaves the door open, man. That's all I'm saying. Right now on top of the AFC West is the Kansas City Chiefs, and I would not be shocked if we turn around and they're an 11-12 win team and they're right in the thick of it in the playoff hunt, not just in the hunt, but ready to make a splash. All right. That's all we got on the monologue, but we ain't done yet. Subway Sports Talk. We're just going to hit the intro music now. I, I followed the path of my guy, Steve Summers. Long monologues with hopefully as much intrigue and as much insight as Steve provides because, uh, again, shout out to my guy, Steve Summers, the schmooze. Congratulations. And now one more segment here after the Subway Sports Talk intro. We're going to talk Knicks on the post-game reaction live from the car on the way home from the garden. Don't worry. We recorded safe and sound. Uh, Alec was the passenger. I was driving, and we were we were doing a very good job keeping it safe out here, right? Subway Sports Talk. Enjoy the final segment. Enjoy our intro music. We've been getting some good feedback on that lately. So here you go. Subway Sports Talk, y'all. Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. All right, here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, as always, on Subway Sports Talk. I have a podcast app, Spotify. You may hear us a little differently right now. That's because we're in the car driving safely home from Madison Square Garden where the Knicks just came out victorious, defeating the Indiana Pacers. It was not pretty. It was not. But I'm joined with my guy with the keys rattling, Alec Argento. What's going on, my brother? So it was kind of an ugly game. Couldn't see the ball go in the hoop very consistently. However... They got the job done. They fought on defense. I definitely missed the turn. That's a one-way street. Like I said, we're driving safely. So, Alec, um, your first time as a new, congratulations, season ticket holder to the New York Knicks, what was your first experience like in this home game with this home crowd going wild? It may not be pretty, but that's New York Knicks basketball. You don't like it, root for another team. That was awesome. It was fun as hell. We got the young guys going. We got Tibbs evolving as a coach, putting in the young guys to close out the game, take a little small ball lineup to close out the game. I loved it. So it was interesting because it wasn't exciting the whole time, right? Obviously, when you're in the garden, it's always going to be to some level of excitement with the cheers and the boos for the other, against the other team the whole night. However, the offense struggled tonight. So did the pace of the offense, but we couldn't get anything going. We couldn't hit a jump shot. There was a lot of stagnation on the Knicks' offense tonight. I think it was a little frustrating. You even heard it throughout the crowd. What was the problem getting buckets tonight? Because it, it, it felt like maybe a little bit of Randall. Kemba made shots, but then he was out of the game for a while. 
What did you see from this stagnant Knicks offense who somehow got the job done? I mean, they're they're settling for bad threes. I mean, that's definitely part of it. I mean, they're they're going for contested threes because that's the identity that they're trying to form without, and they're going away from what happened last year that was successful for them. So, I don't know. There was a bunch of contested threes, a ton by RJ, um, that just, you know, at a certain point you need to let the offense do what it did best last year. When when Kemba can't move the ball, and I know he scored, but – you got to move a little bit away from Kemba when it's not working perfectly, and let uh, Julius like run run the offense through him. So I don't know. It's tough to watch it through through Kemba the entire quarter, and then Derrick Rose comes in, in the bench unit, which is the best bench unit in the NBA, comes in and does their thing. It's going to get a kill. Now let me ask you how it makes you feel because to me it, it makes me feel a little weird sometimes when the bench mob comes in, which we identified before the season started. That was going to be a huge strength for them, obviously, right? The bench makes sense to just dominate other benches. But now we reach this point where, you know, Tibbs benched the starters uh, in a fourth quarter recently. Now the crowd is almost calling for the bench to come in and save the day regularly. Is that a problem or is that still a strength? I think it's still a strength because they're not a bench mob because they're a good bench unit. They're a bench mob because they're a good unit, you know? So they can hmm. come in and – they can go toe-for-toe with a lot of starting fives in the NBA. Listen, they're not going to go toe-for-toe with the Nets or something like that. But with a team like the Pacers, if it's not working with the starting five until they get it figured out, you got to run with them. So it doesn't worry me too much because it's the Pacers and you got to do what you got to do to get the win because you're the better team. But And, and also, like, no shots at the Pacers because they got talent on that team between, like, Sabonis and Levert. I know Duarte didn't play, but, like, he's a good player. Brogdon and all that stuff. But... I don't know. Like that bench unit isn't a strong bench unit. It's a good unit, you know. Like, and, and if it's running and it's running well, keep it going. And then additionally too, it wasn't the bench unit that like closed out the game. It was a combination of bench players and the starting lineup, which is what you want, right? That's what we want to see out of Tibbs. Not the old Tibbs that's going to run the starting five or the bench five or whatever it is. You want to see that evolution of let's mix and match the players. Let's get the right five on the floor. Yeah, and that excitement when Obi and Julius came in together, you can feel it in the arena. It wasn't that they were specifically effective next to one another, but just the way the spacing and everything works when it's Randall and Obi and Derrick Rose and Quickly on the court at once. And Alec Burke obviously played a key role tonight as well, hitting some big shots. That unit's probably the most dynamic. Like, it's no knock to Mitch. It's no not to Taj because what they do is obviously important, and we we think we hear that Mitch Robinson is a little banged up after the game tonight. But that other mixed up unit of starters and bench guys is probably the most dynamic, and you know obviously a crazy comparison to talk about a Warriors unit with their you know lineup of death when they had Iguodala coming off the bench in their closing five. But that's kind of the type of mindset this this unit has with Obi coming off and IQ coming off the bench, and just kind of mixing it up, doing something different than you're normally used to seeing. Yeah. We knew going into the season that it was going to be a strength right? So are we surprised to see things like that? I, I, I want – this is what I wanted to see. We, we view coaches as not, like, having potential to grow, and especially someone like Tim who's – not really show him potential to grow in his career, but uh, you want to see that. You want to see him using that bench and, like, making the right moves. It doesn't have to be 
the people that started to close out the game. And he didn't do that last year either, right? Like, he, he was okay to put Derrick Rose in the close last year. So, kind of sets the foundation for this year. So, uh, I don't know. Like, the bench unit is a strength. Let's play to it. Yeah. And one other thing that comes to mind here is obviously Julius Randle's the best player on the team, right? I agree. He was he was tied up. Demontis Sabonis is always a tough matchup, but it's glaringly obvious every time Derrick Rose enters the court that he is extremely valuable and perhaps the most valuable moment to moment for this Knicks team. Just his penetrate ability, his penetrability. That's not a word. Sure. And <laughs> even with his assist tonight, like he he moves the ball. He knows what to do on the basketball court. And he's realistically the easiest guy to root for in the league at this point in time. Like, what a guy. Do you actually feel like he is the most valuable guy on the team? Let's let's call him the X Factor because Julius is the most valuable just based off stats and all that, John. But X Factor-wise, is Derrick Rose the most important night in, night out? Sure, but it's it's not necessarily because he can get to the basket score. Of course he can do that. But he gets the other guys involved in a way that the starting offense just isn't doing right. You know he's going to get quickly to the basket. You know he's going to get Obi involved, and that's what you really need, is like that dynamicism in that bench. So it's not that Rose is facilitating everything. It's that he creates that extra level of dynamicism to allow other players to get involved, which is what Julius did last year and he isn't doing now. So that's, you know, if you want to compare, like, the, the leader of, of the two units, then, yeah, um, but I don't know. It, it, at the same time, it begs the question: Is Julius going to be able to be okay? And yeah, I still think he's. You know, it, it, I know you didn't ask that, but it does beg that question. And Julius is going to be fine if given the right opportunity with that starting five. And that starting five is still very, very fledgling, and still will figure it out. Yeah, and then the question that I don't want to ask is about Kemba Walker starting point guard. He was the only guy who could put the ball in the hoop early in this game, but he was also non-existent in the second half. Now, because we were at the game, we don't, we're not seeing Twitter, we're not hearing the announcers. Was he banged out? We don't really know at this moment in time, but it is also something that comes to mind is like, can he hang as a starting point guard in crunch time at this point with the defensive liability that he could be unless his offense is absolutely clicking? Is there, is there a realm where he's a better option than Derrick Rose? Late in games. Yeah, there is, if he can penetrate the, the defense. And that's what he's not doing right now, right? He's breaking, yeah, uh, breaking down the, the, the defense and, and getting to the hoop. If he can do that, then those kickouts become a lot more open, which is just not what's available right now. So, I mean, you don't know. You don't, you don't know to a full extent if Derrick Rose is going to have that ability to do that, to grow past his injuries and get to a point where he can do that. But, you know, history would point that he can and maybe he's not going to – I don't think anybody's expecting him to be Kemba three, four years ago, but it's, it, it, it's the same question we said when he signed him in free agency. If he can get him to be 70%, 80% of who he is, then he's an incredible addition to the, to the team. So I, I don't – you know, I, again, I, I'm seeing this team differently in the fact that I don't think it's a one-to-one where it's like a starters and bench. I, I think that it's just like these are two full halves of a team. You right. Know? And if that's the case, that's... That also intermix. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. And it makes it hard on Tibbs. Like, that's not an easy assignment as a coach to mix and match every night. He's getting better at it. I do. I really do think that. And he does seem to 
ride the hand that's hot in the sense of the player that's initiating, the player that's getting to the spots. It's not even just about hitting a shot or two or making a, a nice pass. Like It's about consistently getting to the right spots on the court. And tonight that was Derek. And a lot of nights it's going to be Derek. And I think that's okay. But based off of how he's played and how he's projected to be a six-man-of-the-year candidate, I don't think any of us are upset with seeing him enter the court. In fact, the crowd goes nuts every single time he goes to the score. I mean, statement. you don't re-sign him for three years if you expect him not to be that. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so you know what he's going to be. You know he's going to be a spark plug. You can expect what you can expect out of him because that's what you signed him for. And last but not least, Fournier struggled tonight. R.J. Barrett struggled tonight. Anything they can do to get going, or is it just like finding rhythm in this offense and figuring out where they belong? I think that the starting unit issues like live and die by Kemba and his kickouts. And if he can keep the defense honest with a three and he can penetrate the defense and kick it out, then Fournier and R.J. are going to look really, really good. R.J. looks hesitant out there. And so does Evan, to be honest with you. But, like, Evan's thing is he likes to play hero ball, ball, you know. So, like, you're going to live and die with that. But if he gets the right shots, he's going to make the right shots, like, you know, six out of ten times. So, I, I don't really blame RJ, and I don't really blame a Fournier for what they're doing right now because I don't think that they're the type of guys that are going to create those shots for themselves at this moment. And RJ is a confidence player, so if he's not confident – to drive to the hoop. Like, I saw a bunch of times he's driving with his right hand tonight. You don't really want to see that. You want to see him going strong with the left hand and things like that. But that's because he's trying to do more than he's capable of right now, and maybe he'll be there in, like, two years. I expect him to be that guy in two years. But he's got to get – he's got to develop into that. Yeah. He can't be that guy right now. Yeah, I think the all-star expectations are still a little bit a year or two away, and that's okay. That's okay as long as he continues to be solid, to be a defensive stalwart which the defense won the game in a lot of ways tonight. Yeah. Uh, and that's just kind of what they're going to be. So, all right, that's all we got on the post-game recap, driving home from the stadium. It's a quick ride over here to Hoboken. We're already home. We're out here already. So that's what it is. Sorry for the poor audio quality. But that's what you get when you get a little post-game car record. So Subway Sports Talk, Pete County, Al Argento. We'll talk to you soon. We'll be back with more SST action later in the week. Cheers, y'all. Let's go. Bing bong.